Date 2019 November 3 time 19 hour 41 minute 07 second. Next message. On the interstate feeling very metaphorical. Just passed a sign that said caution. Expect solar glare in the AM. And then a small dog stared at me wistfully out the back window of a passing car. The leaves look like fall when they're still on the trees, and the trees that don't look bare and wintry were right on the cusp. I would like to read up on what people claim genuine ghost hunting techniques involve what kind of equipment they use and what they say it proves I had an image in my head for the beginning of a film of a researcher using some sort of device uh, to walk a certain distance in the woods and test when a cell signal or another kind of electric communication signal would drop out and then doing that many many times and using it to uh, discover the outline on a map of an area in the center of a wooded section of the area uh, in which it's something of a dead zone or a dropout spot Uh, and then the the film would go from there with some sort of experimental journey into that zone, maybe for scientific purposes, maybe for other purposes unknown at this time what happens when they go into the zone, uh, or exactly what reason they give for going into it. But I just, I, I see the guy having drawn a black spot on the map that can't be penetrated by, uh, communications apparatuses or drone cameras or anything of the sort and it's not so big that it would have been really noticed necessarily before you'd have to come across it by accident maybe he's passed through it fully once or twice you know first time by accident and the second time to see if he could and he's come through the other side so he believes it to be safe but he's also gotten very uh strange sensations and experiences in there and he convinces other people to go through because he's made it through and it's safe and Some of them make it through, some of them don't. Seeing as maybe a kind of a zone, like in Stalker, but maybe it's a a place where they end up camping for a time and they have dreams, but we don't in the film actually do much to separate the dreams from the reality, and by the end of the film it becomes impossible to actually determine which filmed reality is more real than another, and we don't... uh, we don't give a final answer. Not like Inception, not like a spinning top, but in a way that we we genuinely don't say this was a dream and this wasn't, or maybe they're now in a dream world. We just present multiple worlds uh, undifferentiated cinematically in terms of their veracity. Expect solar glare in the AM. Constant groaning of things unknown.
Jason. Jason. Yes. Yeah. Jason. Synesthesia to me is uh, it's a true definition of the mixing of the senses. What makes synesthesia exciting, it takes us all the way from just the mingling of the senses, all the way to metaphors or even transcending the senses, where you are, are no longer constrained by the tyranny of individual sense impressions. Jason, what are you talking about? <laughs> Synesthesia, a movie podcast featuring Jason Mikhailich and Jim Hickox, begins now. Pull the this together as soon as I can and give it to them right bros so that we can have something out before the end of the year and then yeah here's hoping next year or, is or early next year who cares something else I don't I, care I, I just want to have one more this year that's why I just, that's fair okay that's just what I was feeling um I accept that I got excited I'll, that we I'll... got a Halloween one I was like if we get to get one more out this year that'll just feel good yeah and then we'll see what happens next year who know <laughs> But I know Godard maintains that for a movie to really be a movie or for cinema to really be cinema, the core characteristic is it has to be projected. Sure, but when I'm 90, I'll also maintain a bunch of bullshit, too. And, but I mean, I also, some, and I, to me, there is something to that, at least poetically, right? Like, Sure. That is another thing that I was thinking about when I was trying to think of... You know, different kind. Of, what, once I realized I wanted to talk to you about ghosts, I couldn't help but think about what you know, different kinds of ghosts and different kinds yeah. of ghost movies and uh, movies that are ghosts. Uh, yeah, things that haven't happened. Like the, the, that's something that I agree. We're also haunted by. I mean, yeah. But I was going to Do you, use. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh. This is good. I'll just relax like this and just dictate like David Milch lying on the ground. Oh, I don't know if I told you I I changed my name to Dictate. That's my <laughs> that's my new name now. Got shortened to Ellis Island from Richard Taters. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that that sounds like an anti-Irish joke. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read it as that, but I like it as that. <laughs> oh, Richard Taters. <laughs> <laughs> they're like well we're making you sound american it's tate now <laughs> oh what shit i gotta work in a bank <laughs> or a museum um i was <laughs> i had in my brain that i was gonna make a joke about how i changed my name to john belaya but then you said dictate and it was funnier 
I was thinking about hauntings and ghosts, and it occurred to me, ghosts and, and time, I was thinking about, which you know, time is, is a central essence of film. I would say time is also a central essence of ghosts. Well, it is, except... Well, so I was thinking about this, and I was realizing that... I mean, hauntings are always somebody who's died or um, some other, uh, I don't know, like, emotionally resonant event that's happened in a place, and then people who come to it later are experiencing that again through a haunting. Yeah. But it just occurred to me that that's... That conception of hauntings and that conception of ghosts, that they're time-bound mm-hmm. in that way, is it's sort of an insistence that ghosts conform to the um, sort of non-quantum macro-physical laws of the universe. Sure. And that, to me, doesn't make... When I actually thought about it, it seems like it doesn't actually make much sense to hold them to that, because, you know, sure. if ghosts exist, they're by definition something that is outside of what at least our current understanding of those macrophysical laws can explain. Sure. So they, they would have to be something else. And so why yeah. would they be time bound? I, once a yeah. spirit is separated from the physical body, whatever that spirit is, it would no longer be bound to linear time. So hauntings should be able to, to go in any direction and you should be able to be as haunted by a future event as by a past event. Sure. Um, and maybe you're not, only because you're occupying a conscious mind that's in a body that's moving through time in a linear way. But, sure. but then I started thinking about it and, and, you know, we have names for things like that, but we call them things like, you know, visions and omens sure. and uh, portents. Sort of and deja vu. Deja, yeah, exactly. So, and, and I was starting to think, it's like, well, that, I, I feel like a lot of the, certainly a lot of what we think about it, in terms of ghosts has to do with our relationship to the past. But if we're really talking about, if what we're really talking about is a, a, some sort of call it spiritual or call it, you know, non-traditionally physical connection. Sure. (laughs) That doesn't, the past has nothing to do with that. The past doesn't exist in that realm. The past is a fiction. The past is an idea that we have based on our perception of time. Um, And so I was starting to think about like, what, what would it then look like to, if you were looking for ghosts with that in mind. Yeah. And then I started thinking about how would you, well, I started thinking about how would you make a movie about that? <laughs> and I well, don't here's, know. Here, here's my pitch, Jason. <laughs> it, you don't make a movie, you make a series based on a fake manga that you pretend exists. And it's, and it's this. Uh, we think about ghosts as being sort of um, e- either human spirits or not. But generally, we talk about them as sort of reactions to traumas that spaces experience, right? Like, if you look Mm -hmm. at any sort of haunting, there's like, there was some trauma in that space, whether to humans or to the space, right? Um, So if you think about it, like, uh, like throwing a rock in a pond, right? It's, it's, those waves don't just go out in one direction, they go out in all of the available directions, um, which is only one plane, but that doesn't matter for us. If you map that on like a timeline, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about a trauma, those ghosts appear in in this fake manga that we're adapting um, in in all directions, right? And we're yes. really only capable of experiencing two of those directions, and we really only think about one of those directions because we don't know to look for spatial trauma until after that spatial trauma has happened. Yes. So our protagonists are a team of people who are ghost hunters, but ghost hunters for the the cause of identifying large-scale traumas before they happen, 
and trying to circumvent them. Yes. So they look for hauntings and then try to figure out the source of those hauntings and, and through, in the same way that, that scientists can now sort of predict when and how large an earthquake will be, uh, those like pre-seismic uh, convolutions. I don't know any science words. Uh, our ghost hunters look for that. They look for these pulses of 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 ghost of haunting energy, and then they use that to predict when a thing is going to happen, how big that thing will be, and try to and try to avoid it happening. That's my pitch. Yeah, um, well, and, and that <clears throat> that's definitely part of what I was thinking about. I, I was uh, I was trying to find some way to describe it. Ripples is good. I, 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 course i initially was thinking about concentric circles going outwards but then yeah that's well i think what i, think I it always is, think just, about in terms of like uh, but if you're on a line right yeah you can only see the line it's like if you're yeah. looking at the side of the top of the water right if we were if we had more dimensions to us we could see the whole circle but we yeah. just can't yeah no no absolutely um no i was just remembering when i was uh trying to explain to you my theories of film history where I was thinking of like a certain film as an epicenter and then ripples from that oh, yeah. go to the past and the future. And it's like, well, I'm just going to be, <laughs> be bringing that back again, but for ghosts. Yeah. yeah, um, It is. It's the same thing. But it is. And, and my initial thought to that pitch was like, well, if you're being haunted by it, is it even possible to prevent it? But then I realized that of course you're, we are only seeing it on one plane sure. to which I would say we're in terms of like, I don't know, the quantum likelihood of multiple universes, we're only seeing it in one version of events, one Earth, right? Sure. So really what you're trying to do, you're not trying to prevent this thing from happening because in some reality, it happens. You're just shifting it to another timeline? That's it's so not dark. Even that you're well, it's not that you're shifting it to another timeline because it's not, you're not changing the event itself because the event itself, in order for oh, you to I be haunted by it, it happened. Right, it right. happens. It, sure. it, is al- it already is. Sure. What you're doing is you're creating a new and better universe that ripples off sure. of the ones that are already interconnected by this haunting. So that's really what they're doing. It's not that they're preventing this thing from ever happening. That's right. impossible because if you're they're experiencing diverting, it, it already they're is. Diverting it exists their, in this their existence from the space where yeah. that happens. They're they're literally creating like a new a and better crash. universe every single you're time. Pulling into another lane. They find one of these epicenters and that is in even and uh, I don't know an even more charged idea to me. I like, yeah I have I have sort of a counter argument for the basis of that thing you just said, but I don't want to argue against the thing you just said because narratively that's <laughs> correct and emotionally that's correct. But I I will just say I do want to note that I'm haunted by things that are never going to happen all the time every day. I. I do think you can be haunted by things that end up not happening. I think that's what anxiety is. Well, but never happened in this version of reality. Sure, sure, sure. You know, like if, if it if if it if it already happened somewhere, right? Like if if there is some sort of multiverse, you know, level of and, realities. Sure. That, then maybe then, that's what's happening to me on a regular yeah. basis is I get really nervous about something and then through my actions avoid that happening and divert off into another timeline. It could be, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure, why not? Who cares? I don't know. Um, anyway, I think that's correct. <laughs> but no, but I think, but I think you're right. I mean, that... It's not. Oh, absolutely. I can, I can look at a movie on a TV screen, but I'm not really yeah. seeing the movie. It's like it's sort of like the 
the technological update of Benjamin's argument about aura and art and mechanical reproduction, sure. right? Sure, like, sure, sure. I can look at a print of the Mona Lisa, but I'm not looking at the Mona Lisa. Sure. I can have a lot of thoughts about the Mona Lisa looking at that print, but I'm not looking at the Mona Lisa. Sure. And the same as with like cinema, I can have a lot of thoughts about a cinema product that I see on any other kind of screen, but unless it's being bounced off a screen, like I'm getting the reflected light, I'm not really experiencing the movie, right? And on, on, a, I like on, a, on a poetic level, 45% I have some, agree with you. Yeah. I mean, it, it's nothing that I'm going to hold to as like a hard and fast argument, but like, sure. Part of my heart is with that. Yeah, no, that I agree. Feeling. I would much rather watch a thing projected off of film, right? Yeah. That's, there is, there is, uh, an intrinsic, like, f- legitimate physical connection between you and the space. Yeah. through that film that you don't get digitally right um and there's also i think just for your eyeballs it is experientially very different to be looking at a projection versus looking at a thing that's shooting light straight at your head yeah uh, which which sucks Um, i mean it and it does like even more than just preferring it i there is some part of me that does feel like it's more real or maybe less real and therefore it's more of a real experience right like it's less it's not a box like you said shooting light at me it's this reflected light that, especially if you're using an actual projector, as yeah. other people have pointed out, you're literally sitting in the dark half the time, like pitch sure. black dark half the time because of the way the, sure. the shutter works. So that right. that is just on a on a subconscious or on a on a sensorial level, like that's a completely different experience. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and it is that that I'm reminded um, you're talking about like the physical relationship to the light, and I know that one of the things that you and I both like to think about is um, that sort of metaphysical connection to the actual light yeah. that comes from shooting and projecting photochemical film, right? Yeah. Like, there's light that bounced off a person that went into a camera and touched some film. Yeah. And then that film is developed in such a way that when light goes through it, it touches that light with that yeah. same shape, right? It's like... The, the it's like f- some the, of <laughs> the film's actually the, capturing a some touch. of the crystals. Some of the crystals on that original piece of film got so full of that light that bounced off those people in that space yeah. that they fucking exploded, and yeah. now their physical presence is obstructing the other light from bouncing off the other screen and hitting your eyeballs. Right? That's like that's yeah. you could. You that's that's physical. That's real. That's an actual thing that's happened. Yeah, and then it bounces off the screen and touches you. Like that. Yeah. That light is, that is touching that film, and then it's bouncing off and it's touching you in the same way. I mean, that's what it. That's what it is. It's not because obviously the light is not a continuity. It's different light. Sure. But sure. But, but there's the a sculptural that, element in between, yeah, right? That, yeah. The the physicality there, and and you know, it, and it's like if somebody was like, "Hey, this was." napoleon's toothbrush you can like poke the bristles with your fingers and be like these bristles were on napoleon's teeth my favorite historical teeth you know (laughs) yeah no i mean and 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 i do get that uh i get that sense of aura and i don't uh, you know maybe it's just conceptual but i i don't get it from a digital reproduction no of course not you know it's just that and there's also that's more like a a machine translating and describing the touch yes in a different way Absolutely. Um, there's also with film, you get the sort of, there's like a, a comradeship with previous audiences, right? Where you're like, 
as you're watching a thing that's projected on film, unless it's like a brand new strip of film, uh, there's like scratches and like things on it. And, and those things happened while other people were watching the movie. Mm-hmm. And now you sort of, you're sharing an experience with all the people who have watched that same strip of film, which with like a digital file is not right. It's just a different, I mean, it's the same digital file, but it's just, it's, it's a machine reading a bunch of information, right? It's like, it's, it's not, there isn't a cohesive thing screening to screening. There's just some information somewhere. And that's yeah. not exciting for me. I do get excited when I see um, those, I hesitate, I call them flaws, but with all my love that I'm not actually denigrating sure. them. Those flaws in the image, when I see them captured on a digital format, when they haven't been cleaned sure. up. Yeah. Um, I wrote an essay once about the Lady Eve. Um, well, it was about a number of different films, but but one of the examples I was using of this phenomenon comes from the uh, the first Criterion Collection DVD of the Lady Eve. I haven't seen their later one. I don't know if they found a different print or cleaned they it up or, it. or whatever. But on that first that first printing of the DVD, there's this scene, and it's like the it's the emotional climax of the movie or like the high point she's you know i don't know how well you know the film but she's about to eat the apple she's about to eat the apple no she it's it's basically a woman who is like waiting in it for a moment to decide whether or not to um how to put it it's a woman who whose entire emotional life and future is basically at stake in uh, sort of a prideful game of one-upsmanship, and and she's internally going through the the ultimate thought process of you know what am I going to do? Am I going to throw away love for the sake of pride? Am I going to fix it so that I get the love I want? Um, and she she's ultimately in control of this fate, and it's Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda. Um, but there's this, it's just this moment, she's sitting in a room, and it's a shot of Barbara Stanwyck, who, I mean, I love Barbara Stanwyck, so I'm already attuned to the image. Sure. And right at what I swear is the, the emotional beat, like the moment, it's silent, it's just her sitting there, it's her thinking, but like the moment that you know that she is feeling the feeling that she's now going to carry through to the end of the film, the film mm-hmm. hiccups. There's this break in the film, like right across her where i don't know if there was it was like a splice or or something but it just it shudders and it shudders at the exact moment that you at she and you are like in interiorly shuddering emotionally shut and it's just it's this magical moment that i don't know maybe a projectionist at one point was like i really want to take a frame of barbara and this is the perfect shot of her so i'm going to take it out i'm going to put it back together and bless them for not cleaning it up because it would be so (laughs) easy to take out and maybe they have by now, but I, you know, I, I waxed rhapsodic for a while about this one moment where it felt like the film's heart was beating with the characters and with mine. And that yeah. even though I'm watching it in this, you know, slightly more distant, slightly more corrupted digital format, I can see that. And that was yeah. very special to me. Yeah, it's really nice. Uh, some of my favorite movies from my youth are ghosts. Uh, and I, I, I talk about this a little bit when I'm, well, it doesn't matter when I talk about it. 
all the time. Um, which is the, because it's the, the experience of, of catching these ghosts is, has been r- erased from the world, but it, it used to be that, uh, images and sounds were just being shot out through analog waves through the air constantly all the time. So you could tune into them with your television, but you could also half tune into other ones that you weren't supposed to be getting with your television. And sometimes late at night, you could tune in and get things that were that were movies, uh, but never see them clearly, and usually not see them begin or end. And, and it was sort of in a world where we didn't have the internet like we do now, so you couldn't be like, I'm going to type the four things I just saw into the internet and sort of delineate the shape of what this movie might be and figure it out, right? So there was that was a whole. I, you're, I'm sure, familiar with this experience. I think anyone our age or older is familiar with this experience. Of, I honestly, actually, I think probably people our age specifically, right? Because mm-hmm. 15, 15 years before, like when we were born, TV didn't go all night, <laughs> right? Uh, and and then by the time we were twenty, TV, uh, th- there was like uh, you could you could just find out what you were watching very easily. And then by the time we were thirty, analog TV was gone. Right? There's only yeah. there is only digital now. Um, but there was a really beautiful spot there from, I mean, late 70s, just before we were born, really, I think, until the sort of mid-90s, and into maybe, depending on your situation, into the early 2000s, when you could be catching things that you weren't meant to be seeing, that you didn't have the context for, um, and that you could never find that context for. Um, and for me, that's the best kind of media. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is those ghosts. No, we, I mean, I remember you and I were talking at one point in time, one of our, I won't say aborted, one of our, you know, tabled projects. So future, future projects. Yeah. When we have unlimited funds. Was to try to recreate some semblance of that experience. I think, yeah. I think I the version think we this. settled on was, or one of the versions we, we had strong feelings for was creating uh, a website that yeah. when you went to it, it, all it did was automatically open a video player and pick up a stream that we would be creating and sending out, but that that stream would be just full of fragments of different things that maybe the whole thing doesn't even exist, but you would, and it would, we would have to have enough of it so that it wouldn't be on any sort of perceptible loop. Yeah. You know, it would have to, we'd have to have chunks of things in like, I don't know, anywhere from five seconds to 15 minutes all as discrete chunks and have something set up where they were randomly assembled together or not randomly, but in large enough, you know, segments yeah. that it was. Yeah. Like many hours. And then maybe yeah. we swap it out every week or something. What yeah, that exactly. Loop is. Um, I also, in my, I, I have continued to chew on this for the last several years. And I, 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 I think maybe we talked about this idea of it being sort of a thing that would, I don't, I don't know. This is a, a, foolable system but i think it's worth putting in anyway where it would check your system clock you know yes and and it would only show you video if it was between 11 p.m and 4 a.m or something and otherwise it would just be like an off television a picture of an off television yes um i also there was a uh there was a traveling show maybe it still exists um that that had like a real edgy name and that in all of its promotions it looked like it was doing. It looked like it was taking a bunch of short films and re-editing them in a really sort of cocainey way. Um, that's sort of how they promoted it. And then I went and saw it, and it turned out it was just a traveling shorts film <laughs> screening, um, which was fine. They had some good shorts, but it was just a bunch of shorts. 
Yeah. Uh, and I really thought they were doing something with them. You really and thought they like, had that's... pants. Yeah. I had, I thought they had full pants, but they were, you know, the ones that zip off at the knees. Oh. Um, but I was like, I think what I want really is the sort of the heroin version to the cocaine version of what I thought they were doing. Right. Like I, what I yes. want is to get a bunch of people to give me films that I can take bits from or parts that didn't make it into films or things they shot that, that just, and never it turned into a film. And I want to take them and re-edit them and I want to slow them down and I want to put some effects on them. And I, I want to turn that into the, the, the screening. Right. I think about that all the time. You're getting old, Jim. You want to slow things down? I know. I know. That's not the Jim I know. <laughs> That's not the Jim who I spoke to to two in the morning about <laughs> taking different songs and speeding them up <laughs> by 1.75% just to make sure that they sounded good. The Beach Boys really sound better at double speed. <laughs> I mean, everything is better faster. Uh, you know, but you gotta, you gotta branch out sometimes. Uh, no, I would love that. You know what I think was an influence on it, honestly? Did you ever, do you remember Jam, the weirdo British sketch show? The, like, super dark yes, early 2000s. Yes, Where they would, like, they'd take a, like, a comedy conceit. The one that I remember offhand is the one, um, I mean, I remember some that are truly dark, but there are some that are, there's one where it's, like, a woman who's cleaning a guy's apartment, but she's just using a vacuum cleaner that's, like, three inches tall. <laughs> And he's just, he's on the phone telling someone that, like, she, like, cleans his apartment, but it takes her, like, three days, and he really wants her to stop. Um, and he's, like, trying to convince her to use a regular size vacuum, and she won't do it. Um, it takes that, which is, like, a funny sketch comedy can see, and it turns it into, like, a four-minute really dry sketch, right? The, Chris Marker, who did that, also had a version called Jam, with, like, nine A's. <laughs> Um, where he would take those sketches and slow them down and put, like, early 2000s stuttery digital effects on them. Uh, and it was just the same show, but slower, uh, which I love. And I think that was maybe one of my influences with that idea, was I just, I, I love the idea of just, I don't know, really dragging that stuff out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the jam was, uh, for something that I've only seen tops. 10 minutes of that you've shown me in different portions. The jam has yeah. had an outsized uh, influence on the way I think about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember that one sketch you showed me about the guy jumping out a window. Oh my God. And he wanted to kill himself, but he couldn't jump off a 30 story window. So he jumped out of a first floor window or second floor window 30 times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just another guy sitting watching and describing Whoa, the whole thing. Yeah. And he's like, and after the 15th jump, he was staggering back. And it's so, it's and he kept so... Going. Do you have any ghosts of movies that haunt you? Yeah. Yeah. A whole bunch of them. I have a ghost of a movie. Actually, I have the ghost of the movie on tape. Um, the first <laughs> that first film I tried to make for my... Uh, to try to um, 
you know, officially joined the film department at our yeah. college. Uh, I shot uh, all of it. Okay. Um, and when I got the film back, I had shot 80% of it through the emulsion. So good. And it looked wild. It was, yeah. it was my first time shooting color film, and it was just blazes of color all <laughs> over the place. And you could make out some of the images, and it was just it, it, very, very fascinating. But I couldn't make the movie that I wanted to make. I had sure. crafted a narrative, and it you needed shot certain images movie. to... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I went to shoot one movie, and I ended up shooting another one that I'd never even thought of. Yeah. And that first movie died. <laughs> yeah. And what I ended up with was the ghost of that first movie. And at first I didn't know what to do with it. And I just went to my committee and I was like, I, you know, here's the first part of the movie. It came back right. I edited it. Here it is. I don't know what to do with the rest of this. And so I guess I'm just out of luck. And I remember one of them telling me, like, just make something out of it. Don't worry about what you were going to make. You know, perfectionism is yeah. a disease. You have this thing here. So I went back and I, just for myself, not for them, because that was done. I had to make something else, sure. you know, and try again later. But sure. just for my own self, I was like, okay, I'll make something out of this. So I, I cut together just a different kind of film out of those images. <laughs> and it's not good, but it exists. <laughs> and it it's the ghost of a movie that never was. Yeah. So I'm haunted by that That's movie for that sure. Thing. Next message. Jim, I was reading up on ghost hunting. I was a practice in the real world. I'm reading points of view, both pro and against, and descriptive and uh, antagonistic, critical in phrase. I found one article. I've already forgotten who wrote it and where I found it. It might have been in the Atlantic, some glossy magazine like that. But um, it was describing the tools that are most popular among ghost hunters. And there's a mania for certain kinds of electromagnetic frequency receivers, detectors, and certain kinds of cameras and audio recorders and the unifying feature of all of them is that they have serious imperfections um, and that it's actually uh, to the ghost hunter's benefit to have recording tools that will create essentially mysterious artifacts and this is a an article that was written from the perspective of debunking the practice of ghost hunting uh, was basically pointing saying, look, they use these imperfect recording devices. They're actually better for them to use these imperfect recording devices because they get the results they want. Um, but I was struck by the fact that whether they get the results they want or not, they get results they don't expect because these tools have a mind of their own in terms of creating after-images or sounds, uh, distortions, and 
picking up frequencies when you don't expect them. And it occurred to me that in our filmmaking careers, in our artistic careers, we've often chosen, like many artists, choose to use tools that have imperfections built into them. You know, shooting on photochemical film, on half-broken cameras, recording music using toy instruments or broken instruments. And Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is we're not artists, Jim. We're ghost hunters. Anyway, that's what I'm changing my occupation to on my tax return so that I can write off spending $500 on a Pixel Vision camera off eBay. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Bye. Next message. Jason, I cannot believe I am infuriated at myself that I did not think of uh, the idea of EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, and such while we were talking last night. And not only that, that I didn't think about it while we were talking about ghosts, but as, as you know, I, I have done some ghost hunting. I have collected electronic voice phenomena. I have uh, looked for orbs. And I, I well know that a major tool of the trade is, um, is failure-prone equipment because you're specifically looking for, and I, it's fun that they would have uh, angled that as like a debunk because it's sort of just known that that's, that's how the process works, right? It's you're, you're taking a tool, uh, that theoretically should be collecting neutral information and you're finding where the anomalies happen and those anomalies indicate something, right? And you can read that as a, an equipment failure, or you can read it as an intervention from some outside force. Uh, and and as with we were talking about sort of the, the interior, exterior experience, right? Those are fundamentally the same thing. Uh, so that's how you find ghosts, right? Um, and I, I know all this, and I've done all this. And, and as you said, that's also a major part of my artistic practice and I'm mind boggled that I have <laughs> despite having spent time participating in and thinking about both halves of this uh, have never consciously put together the fact that the tools that you use for one of these things are are, are the same as my artistic practice with the other thing um and that, and that fundamentally I am, I mean, all I'm ever doing when I'm making movies is hunting ghosts. That's all I'm ever doing. I also, now that I'm thinking about it, have some specific ghost stories from my feature film um, where we were not actively hunting ghosts, but finding ghosts uh, in that space, um, which I should have told you about. Uh, maybe we'll have to do another quick sesh on this. Um, but yeah, ghost hunting is definitely. I should. I should also change my profession on my business card to ghost hunter, because also, Jason, um, then instead of feeling like uh, I'm unsuccessful in a field where some people are incredibly successful, I can feel like I'm unsuccessful in a field where everyone is unsuccessful.
um, one of the one of the things that I think influenced my thinking in terms of um, wanting to make things that seem like they're assembled from unfinished bits. Yeah. Um, well, I, there's a few different things. I mean, what, one just is the existence of blackout sketch comedy because sure. that's always been one of my favorite things about even a show like Monty Python where something would just cut off and yeah. just move on to the next thing. And I remember when I was young listening to early Frank Zappa records and the Mothers sure. of Invention where it would be like, this song is 16 seconds long and it just, you know, <laughs> consists of a weird guitar sound and somebody saying, Daddy, and then a burp. And then it goes into <laughs> yeah. the next song and it has a whole structure except the structure changes midway through and it becomes a different song. And then there's another song where they're just hitting like bike bells or whatever. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> you just get this whiplash. Yeah. Um, and it all you know feels like pe- bits and pieces, um, but there's a it's a really great comics work um, by this guy named Al Columbia called Pim and Francie. Did I ever show that to you? Uh, it doesn't sound familiar. Oh man, um, Columbia he he had a, a weird career. Um, like at the beginning of his career, he started as. Um, Bill Sienkiewicz's assistant on okay. <laughs> uh, Big Numbers, which was supposed to be the big graphic novel that Alan Moore was doing that was like a like a complex real-world story as opposed to superheroes or fantasy or whatever. Sure. And Sienkiewicz at one point in time stopped, had to stop drawing it, felt like he couldn't keep going with it. It was this very complex um, uh, scripts. They only released, I think, two issues. And then... Al Columbia stepped in to start drawing the third issue and allegedly, or, you know, maybe apocryphally drew the entire thing and then destroyed it and disappeared. <laughs> and that's when Alan Moore finally just gave up on the project. And it was, it was supposed to be like the big, you know, in Alan Moore's early stardom, it was going to be the big like artistic statement he was doing. And he put yeah. like a lot of his own money into it and all that. So that's like a whole saga. Um, so like that's Al Columbia at the beginning and then he started showing up in anthology magazines doing these very strange dark surreal strips that would have um the these visual qualities that looked almost like max fleischer cartoons or like okay. the but like the real weird or dave fleischer like the real weird fleischer cartoons like the sure like bimbo's initiation or like the, yeah. the betty boop freak out stuff with cab calloway um, but they never really like narratively cohered. And Pim and Francie is the ultimate version of that, where he has these two characters, Pim and Francie, who are these like little kid characters, very much in that sort of early Fleischer mode. And the book has no clear discernible narrative. Instead, it's all it, it what it what it looks like is it looks like somebody made an art book out of stills and cells and sketches from an entire history of these characters <laughs> like starring in cartoons but yeah. just the fragments that are left after like a building caught on fire and so they're like all right here's everything that's left of him and francie and you're going through it it's like oh these drawings are amazing wait is like 
is Pim gutting Francie with a fish hook? Like, <laughs> are they roasting their neighbor over a spit in that picture? And but like then they're just like frolicking. It's like, so it, these these eruptions of really dark violence, but all in that same tone and all just sort of disconnected but fully connected. Like it doesn't feel like a collection really. It feels like sure. a, like a work. But as you're yeah. going through it, your mind can't really connect. So that that's one of the things that I think that book haunts me in many ways. Sure. Um, but I just, I've always loved that kind of idea of creating, creating a world and then not feeling like you have to fully flesh out that world. Feeling yeah. like you've created that world and then you're going to just deliver glimpses. Yeah. You know, because so much of the world building instinct is like, I don't know, it plays out in seven part fantasy novels where you get into sure, the, sure. You know, what's the Wonder Boys line? The genealogy of everybody's horse or whatever. Where, <laughs> um, like that, when Michael Douglas just can't stop writing his book. They're like, yeah, you, you have the genealogy of everybody's horses in here. And that's just, you have to make choices. <laughs> um, <laughs> just something that just delivers these glimpses that, I don't know, I find that stuff genuinely disturbing and, and terrifying and wonderful and, you know, curious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, every created work is, is some exercise in that, right? It's no matter what you are sharing with your audience, you're inventing more that you're withholding. Yes. Um, yeah. And so it's interesting to take, uh, there's like a very brick wall way. Like there's a very flat version of, of the way that we expect that to be done that most work conforms to, right? Where you're like, I'm building all of this world but I'm sharing with you the part that is this discrete story. Yeah. And it's interesting to be like, to be like, I'm going to take the window that I'm showing to you and I'm going to take the story and I'm going to like stretch it out in a different direction. Right. The, you're, the, the window I'm giving you is a different shape into this world than the shape of a window that you're used to seeing. Yeah. So you're just, you're seeing parts of the world that I built, just different parts that a, a, a person would typically show and you can put together whatever you want. Yeah. Well, and it's also that act of making, making the fact that there's missing parts mm-hmm. a very emphasized part of the experience because you're right sure. everything has quote missing parts but usually usually the emphasis is on making sure you don't think about what's not there sure yeah that yeah it, yeah. It, like, it, it is at most a background hum that makes the world feel more full but you want to focus on what's happening and what's happening is a complete yeah. and coherent narrative without gaps whereas yeah. this yeah, exactly. is just you know it's just gas. What you it's happen like, to see through the keyhole before you fell down a trap door. Like, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. And that, yeah, then that's a work that, that captures that haunting feeling, not just because it's dark and because it has some horror aspect to it, but because it, you know, there, I'm trying to think if there are works that, that capture that, that don't, you know, lean and there's into often the a darker dark slant. elements you know i mean the, when people are playing with form they're often also going dark it's like yeah. not an intrinsic handshake but i feel like it's so frequently true yeah right which i don't know why that is i guess there's just something about subversion that that goes hand in hand with other forms of subversion well i i, I think if you i'll make a wild armchair guess but like i think if you are somebody who is trying to subvert forms or break forms or just you know somebody who's who is i feel like if you make work like that you were probably very aware of how most art doesn't 
do that, <laughs> right? Like, sure, 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 sure. Doesn't deliver that kind of view to you. And when you're somebody who wants to create a work that uh, that upsets form in that way, you're probably also somebody who feels, and I, I guess I'm probably just describing myself, but who feels <laughs> a, a sort of persistent discomfort with the way the world is usually organized narratively. Yeah, I think um, that probably makes sense. You feel like it's hiding something, or you feel yeah. like it's not correct in some way. Um, yeah. And I think you can take that more and less literally and more and less complexly. You know, like yeah. y- you can take it as a real, you know, dumb guy version and something like American Beauty, right? Where it's like, oh, the suburbs, sure. everything's beautiful, but then inside it's not. You know, yeah. it, there's the darkness beneath. Um, and so you could do that, you know, like I said, with a sort of genuine dumb guy brio, or you can do it with the sort of. Um, arch camp of a david lynch who's basically sure. doing the same thing in blue velvet yeah blue velvet is the a, same thing as yeah. such a different direction that you know and that's also i maybe also the example of like david lynch is playing in some ways with the form of presentation right sure. like it he's he's making you uncomfortable moving through the narrative space as opposed yeah. to just showing you in a normal narrative sense like here's what you think is there here's what's really there like you know that kind right. of bullshit um so on one end you have that, but on the other hand you do have just this sense that like when, the way the world is usually presented to me is missing something, and yeah. no matter what that is, that's a dark feeling that sure. something's wrong. You know, yeah. something there. Yeah, something is amiss. Yeah, there's something rotten in Denmark. Is you know the beginning of the play, and then yeah. <laughs> like that. That's the sensation for the whole thing. Yeah, you know. I'm gonna run to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Okay. When I say the bathroom, what I, of course, mean is that I am peeing outside in my yard. Right. So I remembered why I initially was thinking about ghosts. Yeah. And it's because uh, Gus has gotten really into Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And... We've been watching a lot of the. He hasn't seen the the movie, but he, we've been watching a lot of the cartoon. I would argue, Jason. I don't know if this is if this is the common agreed agreed upon thing, but I would argue that for me at least, the real Ghostbusters cartoon is more of the seminal text than the original. Certainly, in terms of my life, like from my childhood. Yeah, I um, feel like anyone who was the target audience for the original movie probably feels that way. But I don't, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well. I mean, you're talking about a four-quadrant hit, so I don't know how <laughs> you can talk about the target audience. The target sure. audience ended up being everybody. Sure, I suppose that's um, true. But it's definitely... I mean, it, the cartoon is great. Like, it definitely has yeah. been holding up watching with him. <laughs> I've, I've been impressed. <laughs> um, but it did have me thinking about... Just because, like... It had me thinking about conceptually, like what busting ghosts even would be. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There, there was one episode that actually started with them chasing down uh, like a old gangster ghost that like is talking like Edward G. Robinson. And like Sounds that's a great. funny gag, right? It's like, yeah, see, you can't get me, brah. <laughs> but then they actually call him a a two bit dead hood 
And it made me think Whoa. for a second. It's like, wait, that means that was a person. And yeah. this is their eternal spirit. And your job is to trap it in a metal box. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, just keep it fuck? in a giant metal box in what Brooklyn or somewhere forever. Like, I'd already resigned myself long ago to the fact that that original movie, as much as I love it, is one yeah. of the most reactionary texts that's like, possible to read, right? Because it's literally about guys who are in the public sector doing yes. research who decide that what they really have to do is go into the private sector in order to create right. their own small business and make money. And yeah. the big villain in the whole film is the guy from the EPA who wants to come yeah. see what they're doing with their, as they say in the film, <laughs> unlicensed nuclear reactors that they wear on their backs. Sure. So like, okay. But I hadn't taken that extra step to be like, just on an even deeper conceptual level, like you're trapping immortal souls. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you're the devil. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Except they're not even giving you something good while you're alive like the devil would. Yeah. You know? Like the devil would at least make you really good at playing the fiddle or something. Guitar. Yeah. It's like all make of, you the king these of the blues. Huge, you know, thunderous metaphysical implications of the proven existence of ghosts. Right. Right? <laughs> and the instinct is like, cool, let's catch them and put them in a box. <laughs> like what the what? I feel like in the movie, and if I remember, it's been a while, even more so in the cartoon, they're not really, they, they don't look like dead people, right? No, they, they look like I mean, like I can Bergen's. picture Slimer, obviously, who's, yeah, he's just like a thing with arms. But I remember in the cartoon, right, they're like specifically like some of them have one big eyeball and some of them have like nine arms. They're all like crazy things. So it's interesting that they would specifically be like, oh yeah, this is a dead old gangster. Yeah, well, it is sometimes that, and sometimes it isn't. There was also another really, right. let's say medium uncomfortable episode where they went to New Orleans. <laughs> I remembered okay. this one in the in its like major arc because they go down to New Orleans and have to bust an old jazz man's ghost. And the way they Ooh, defeat okay. the old jazz ghosts is with the superior power of rock and roll. <laughs> So it was well, like a for real, real? Yeah. <laughs> but like it was specifically like the it was specifically an actual dead jazz musician slash voodoo magician. Right. And they had to team up with a white lady voodoo magician who was wow. least, she she was at least like Creole, but she's sure. blonde. Uh sure. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um to defeat his his old music with new music. <laughs> to defeat to go capture the ghost of Jelly Roll Morton. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Or like, yeah. It, so, there's definitely times when they're like, this ghost was a person, and we're yeah. busting him. Which is really intense. Yeah, that's that's super dark. Yeah. So, it had just, that's what started me down the path of thinking about ghosts. I quickly got yeah. off that, because I don't want to literally think about the spirits of dead people. Because I don't think that's how... I'm, I am agnostic on on ghosts. This, well, yeah, on, on like this degree of supernatural existence. I, sure. I'm agnostic slash skeptical, but at the same time, if, if something like that exists, it's not going to exist like that. Like, it's right. not going to be I like, this I spirit that ghosts. is just like my consciousness, except not in a yeah. body anymore. I, I believe in ghosts, but I don't believe in the souls of dead people. <laughs> 
Or, yeah, or I, the souls of alive people. I don't believe in souls. Well, let's see, I believe in I souls, believe- but I don't believe that it's that uh, easily transmittable, right? Like That's fair. Yeah. I, I'm, if, if our science can discover the soul, it's going to be yeah. somewhere in like the quantum entanglement of electrons that run through sure. the connections in your brain. Right, sure, and sure. like so much of what makes up our personality is in the actual physical manifestation of our brain and our bodies. Yeah. So whatever it is that would separate after death, it wouldn't keep any of those characteristics. You know, it would okay. transmigrate. Probably, I would, if you want my actual like blue sky ballpark guess, it probably transmigrates across universes into other brains. And that's what people take to be past experiences is quantum entanglement across universes and time of pieces of electrons that make up the synapses in your brain that is the stuff of consciousness that we don't understand yet. I like that. I like your version <laughs> of souls. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's not just going to be me, but Goopy. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? that's, like, that's not a thing. Um, I mean, the and first and ghost conversely, thing... like, I think there is I think there is a thing we call ghosts. I don't think it's dead people. <laughs> well, what do you think it is? I mean, we talked about some movies that are ghosts. Who knows, dude? I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm just asking for the. I'm just asking for your thoughts. I got. I got no idea. I mean, I think there are, you know, anomalies. I think that there are larger things at play than we can understand. Uh, I have not dedicated the brain space, nor do I think I would come up with an answer that's worth having if I did dedicate the brain space to thinking about like what that might actually be. Right. Yeah. Um, but I do think there are anomalies, right? I think there are, and like, you know, I think it makes sense that, that sometimes they are related to spaces of trauma. Right. And I think that that's, I think part of any experience that you're having is you having that experience. That's the cagiest thing I've ever said. Um, <laughs> which, which what, we like can apply back to movies, thing? right? Yeah. That's the John cagiest thing I've ever said. Uh, is that when you're listening to the silence, what you're hearing is the other people in the audience also listening to the silence. Oh, I was hearing it um, in Nicolas Cage's voice. Oh, yeah. it's it's If you just sew a piece of obsidian into your jacket, then you can convince yourself that you're having the experience. <laughs> and that's how the experience... Uh, that's how the experience emanates out of you onto the film. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's... You know, it's... I think we've talked about this idea before. I, I, I'm pulling this... There's a there's a quote that is an, a more succinct version of this idea than I have ever been able to say that comes from maybe art is experience maybe um, I think it's from that I think it's mm-hmm. from uh, John Dewey uh, where he's like and I'm sure I said this to you we probably I probably said this in an episode before um, that that the the poem isn't the words on the page the poem is the experience that you go through as you read the words from the page right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that you can sort of you can extrapolate that out to movies obviously also right that yeah. like the thing on the screen isn't a movie the thing that you're feeling inside of your body brain while you're while you're in that space is the movie um and i think that that's true of life also right like yeah. everything you're experiencing isn't just a thing that's out there uh it's and this is uh this is all Oh, I don't remember the word. What's that word that talks about how experience works? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, but it's a, uh, um, you know, I think I think anytime you're experiencing a ghost, part of that experience is coming out of you, right? Yeah. So it makes sense that it would be a thing that is in a space that you feel like there is a reason for there to be a haunting there. Right? Yeah. 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 When I don't think that I, I think that the um, sort of materialist scientistic 
as opposed to scientific scientastic uh, <laughs> way of of reacting to that would be like well that just means that it's in your head but I don't think that's, well, that's a not, valid that's dismiss- not what I'm saying no I know it's not I, I'm yeah, saying that okay. that uh, the that imaginary person that sure. I just you know the the version of Richard Dawkins I just made up who's talking to you about it uh, old Dickie Rockin <laughs> after he old says Richard Taters. something horrible about black people and women uh, will <laughs> tell you that you know that's just a figment of your you know physical brain and it doesn't sure. mean anything and to me sure, that but in and of itself is a meaningless so objection yeah <laughs> Yeah, because all the words that he's saying to you are also a figment of your physical yeah, brain. Exactly. Uh, ontological, you're a figment that's of his thinking. physical this brain. This gets into like ontological arguments, yeah. right? Where we're like, do things even exist unless they're being perceived? Does does fake Richard Dawkins actually exist, or is he just a thing that we've come up with and are talking about? And if you're talking about him, then am I thinking about him in my head, or am I just hearing your words? You know, uh, who cares? Well, that goes to this real fake Richard I like, Dawkins. You know, you brought up Dewey and, and you know, it's why I like Dewey yeah. and James and the other pragmatists yeah. because they they take it all away I don't know who from James is. like Who's James. Oh, William James. I don't know who that is. I'm oh, oh okay. I've read I've read here's the thing about my understanding of theory is that I never took any classes uh, that were academic in any form at all. So I've only read books that I either you have recommended to me or that I've found through other friends or that I think are fun. Um I feel like that's a better way to. So I only know John Dewey because one of my exes went to a school where they, the, where the whole school was based on his teachings, and I was like, I'll read some John Dewey, and I like read. I think I read a different thing first, and then and I he like got me so ramped up, I went out and bought Artist Experience, and I read it, and I was like, this is so huge. It makes me want to smash windows. That book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, anyway, Dewey is great. Read, read um, but William James uh, was also one of the great like pragmatist philosophers, and they, and both of them. I, the only reason I was bringing both of us that they they both decenter like ontology. They decenter uh, knowing sure. what actually is, like answering right, that question because it it it's doesn't matter your irrelevant. experience of <laughs> yeah. like the the question doesn't become is it true? The question is does it work? That's why it's called pragmatism. Yeah. And then that gets sure. debased and and turned into an excuse to never do anything good, you know, by this country forever. Like oh yeah no we're we're sure. pragmatic. That means we just have to do exactly what's already happening. It's like, no, 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 no. Sure. That's not what they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the, you, you move it away from figuring out, uh, like we were talking about with the definition of films, uh, like what is cinema? Sure. You, ultimately, my answer to that whole conversation is like, it, it's, it's a fun conversation to have sometimes, but it's all ultimately pointless because what yeah, matters isn't what it's, bucket it's you can put academic. things in or how you can... Yeah define it what matters is what's the experience you're having of course. you know and what does it do for you what does it do to yeah. you what do you do in response to it and it's all about motion you know you don't stop sure. and classify things you just keep moving yeah uh, yeah the only reason to classify things is so that you can talk about them right yeah and once you're talking about things you're not experiencing things anymore <laughs> yeah but yeah and and this so then, is, then you have oh. william james's brother henry james wrote ghost stories boom wait are they really brothers yeah that's funny yeah that's charming um This this the last thing that I had written down that I want to talk about is is a pretty 
off topic thing, but it sort of ties into that in that um, it ties into my sort of, <laughs> I guess this is all pragmatist, but th- this, I, I am, I would say uh, I, I've always labeled all of my work and, and thinking as, as, as dumb uh, as it's sort of, you know, in, in fancy script, like as, as a, as a, just an adjective, Sometimes people are like, "Don't say that," and I'm like, "No, no, no!" I make no, that's, I make that's your things. mode. That's it's, your genre. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is my mode within within which I work, and also within which I experience. Right? And yeah, and it's like saying I'm my music very... is loud. It's just a descriptive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and part of that is like I, I'm very sort of broadly, and obviously when I'm teaching like film studies classes, as they have me doing currently, uh, we talk we talk about various ways of interpreting movies, but mostly I'm like, stop trying to do that. Just just watch the movie and feel the things that happen inside of you chemically. Um, and just as an example, this, I just thought this was funny. I thought you would be charmed by it. What I made all my students write because the department looked at my syllabus and was like, you're not making these students do anything that you're supposed to make them do. You have to have them do a test and they have to write one paper. Uh, so this semester I made them all write one paper and then I gave them the dumbest test. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but their paper, they all, I, I was just like, pick a movie off this list. And I sent them a list of movies I think are good. Uh, and I was like, write, you know, some pages on it. And one of them picked F for fake. Uh, and she emailed me partway through while she was like prepping the paper. And she was like, hey, I just had a question. I, I watched the movie. Uh, she, she really liked it. Uh, obviously, it's great. Um, and she was like, there's there's uh, one of, I don't, I don't know how much I have to say in case anyone hasn't seen the movie. But it's about, it's an Orson Welles documentary about a guy and another guy. And they're both forgers. Um, and the second guy happenstantially owned a monkey and she was like there's a bunch of shots where it just cuts to it's the same shot i think it just keeps cutting back to this one shot of the guy's monkey hanging out underneath a lamp (laughs) what why do you think he's doing that and i i was like bang out email send i was like oh because it's funny that he owned a monkey bang Uh, and then like a minute later i was like wait hold on no also like you know i'm sure there's like you could say he's like he's a forger so he's making a monkey out of people or like you know there's like things you can do with that but like really it's it's funny the guy had a monkey yeah it's funny to have a shot of a monkey who cares yeah (laughs) (laughs) sorry sorry i'm a bad teacher everybody Uh, i would ask ask them like why did you notice it yeah yeah right what made it stand out what made it stand out yeah um, you're like ha 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 monkey <laughs> no i i think that's yeah that that's a good story i like that story um, i shot a documentary and we did an interview with a woman who was sort of the centerpiece of the documentary but she's mostly not in the movie i mean ultimately uh, most of the things that i shot are not in the movie including anything about her um but she was as we were shooting intended to be the centerpiece of the movie uh, and when we went to interview her I shot a little bit of the interview with her, but then we also, she had a cute little dog. And so I just shot like minutes of the dog sitting in a chair. Why? Why? It had nothing to do with anything, but it was cute. And it was funny. She had a floppy little dog, you know? Yeah. I was like, let's put in a lot of this floppy little dog. Yeah, exactly. You just, it's there. And then you present it to somebody else and then it does something to them. It's not. Yeah, exactly. You get what, you get what moves you. Yeah. Like you can intellectualize about it if you want to. And I enjoy intellectualizing. But sure. And I think intellectualizing is fun and I think it can serve purposes, right? I think it makes sense to um especially like if I mean I approach everything sort of some uh, 
from a practical, from a pragmatic angle. <laughs> where like, if you're, if you're like planning on making a movie and you're like, these movies are inspiring me, then like, sometimes you have to go through those movies that inspire you and figure out why mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and see what you can steal from them. Right. Yeah. Uh, or like, if you just think academic discussion is fun, then great. Like interpret things, right. Then break things down and figure them out. Cause it can be like putting a puzzle together. But I think that that is not the experience of watching a movie, right? I think if you're going to watch a movie, you, yeah. I don't know. I, I also think, don't I think, think it's you, the experience of it hit you in the face. Most artists making art sure. and making a movie. Like I, I much prefer what I always am striving to do is not to interpret, but to experience and then somehow yeah. transmit that experience. And it comes out yeah. like you ultimately comes out, to some degree as some kind of interpretation, but I really don't even like the word interpretation because I'm not trying to translate the movie. I'm not trying to like say, here's what it's really saying. I'm trying to capture what the experience is of, of being in it. And then I can talk about why that was meaningful. (laughs) You know, like like I want to describe what is meaningful and what is interesting about it. I don't want to interpret it because you do interpret it. You just, destroy it you know go read susan sontag against interpretation it's you know yeah it's the that that's the bible it is the bible yeah what's the last line she has what we need the the whole thing's against the sort of an 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 erotic of film yeah Uh, yeah (sighs) not a uh some other big fancy word (laughs) ontology it's not ontology something like that yeah whatever epistemology maybe yeah something like that a theory i don't know but yeah, so I Some I'm, word I'm that Susan Tontag just knows that I don't know. Susan Tontag. Uh, I bet she's looked at so many more words than I have. Well, she's dead now. Okay, so she's. I bet. She, <laughs> I bet before she, she died, she, she had looked at more <laughs> words than I currently have she, looked at. She died from words. She OD'd on words. That's what yeah, I heard. Yeah, they call it tagging. They call it tagging out. <laughs> You look at so many words that your brain stops. Jesus Christ. Um. Next message. Jim, I just wanted to call you real quick to share a piece of, uh, I guess we'll call it serendipity. I was staying with my family over the holidays and editing our belated, hopefully soon to be released, holiday season, New Year's synesthesia episode um, all about well, ghosts and uh, right in the middle of of editing going back and forth in in my dad's house I happened upon a comic that I'd never seen before I didn't write down anything about it so I I don't remember who made it or where it was printed but it was a comic called Ghostland Uh, it it was clearly small print run, uh, you know, printed on a risograph printer, these beautiful fading pastel colors. I mean, a risograph printer is, uh, is, is like a, uh, home printing device that, that prints beautiful comics that then, uh, over time fade because this is not, it's not a fully permanent, uh, process. Um, and the comic was a, it, it took me a minute to realize what it was after looking at it, but it was a remix comic, essentially, um, that had taken an old issue or multiple issues of uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost and removed all the figures, 
all the ghosts and just left the backgrounds and the the settings the, the trees and the houses and the rooms and the the ghost land and it was empty but it was haunted by your memories of what these iconic cartoon ghosts looked like um and it was just it was special to be cutting the episode together and then just have this thing appear uh i just wanted to tell you about it happy new year buddy next message jason what does adam sandler call a stroke of good luck serendipity do happy new year Alright, I should pull into the station uh, here. <laughs> What's the last things I want to... Oh! <laughs> I should describe one other Ghostbusters yeah. episode. <laughs> Please. <laughs> is uh, in here. I This one I'd kind of forgotten existed, but there is an episode where the Ghostbusters get lost in a like a snowy blizzard, and they end up in this weird little town that looks old, and this old man sure. is being... Uh, tormented by three ghosts and they bust them and then like take off. But it turns out that old man sure. was Scrooge and those are the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future. Okay. And so then they like go back through the blizzard and go back home. And it turns out that Christmas doesn't exist anymore and everybody's all grumpy. And they're like, Oh no, we busted the ghosts of Christmas. We have to go back and teach Scrooge the meaning of Christmas. <laughs> it's very it's- strange. Because is it, it positing that the Ghostbusters exist in a Charles Dickens-based world, or is it positing that the story of, of 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 Scrooge is a real history story that happened in our world, or is it some muddier thing? Than that? So I I'm trying to remember exactly what they because they're <laughs> always throwing out these little lines that are like technically we'll explain it, but who knows? So it. it it's, sure. it's either that I think what they say is that like the story must have been based on a real event and they just okay. happened upon a time vortex <laughs> that is, I guess, stable because they get to go back through it. Um, okay. So they go through the time vortex and bust the ghosts before they can soften Scrooge's heart. And then Scrooge okay. goes on feeling victorious from that goes on to defeat uh, Christmas again fundamentally positive ghosts right this is yes. this is just cementing the idea that some ghosts in this universe are not horrible monsters yeah and they're just collecting them up anyway with no discretion yeah so they bust them trap them put them back in their you know containment box and then they're like oh no what did we do we killed christmas <laughs> because that's the other thing is like scrooge literally like war on christmas he actually yeah defeats christmas and so back in the ghostbusters I mean, present for him everybody's all bah hum like bah humbug everybody says bah humbug everywhere so then <laughs> i want to live in a world where everyone actually says bah humbug <laughs> but so then they have to go get the ghosts of christmas out of the containment unit which they have to like go in and fi- i forget how they find them but in the meantime they're like well we're gonna have to do it ourselves so they go back and like dress up and pretend to be ghosts <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> and so the ghost of Christmas past, they just put, they blindfold Scrooge and put him in a wheelchair and then they take the blindfold off and put one of those, um, uh, what you call the, the viewers on his face. Like a Viewmaster? Yes. They put a Viewmaster on his face <laughs> that is somehow filled with photographs of places from his childhood. <laughs> and they just Great. run him around in the wheelchair so he feels like he's flying and they switch the photos wow. and talk <laughs> about it's the bonkers. It's a bonkers episode. But just since we're talking about ghosts <laughs> like, <laughs> and you know, it's seasonal. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Ghostbusters bust the Christmas ghosts. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. The show got weird. They met God yeah, in one episode, yeah. but God was a baseball umpire. Whoa. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. It cuts deep. All right. That does cut deep. <laughs> they bust Cthulhu in one episode. That one's fun. For real? Yeah. I should go back and watch this show. <laughs> bah humbug! Bah humbug you! Bah, bah humbug you! Hey, pinhead! Bah humbug! Bah humbug! Okay? Hey, I'll give you Christmas cookies all over here! Okay, so let me get this straight. One, we went back in time. Two, we changed history, so Scrooge won. And three, now no one celebrates Christmas anymore. Fascinating. Synesthesia is produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Featuring music by The Cocktails, courtesy of Tight Ship Records. Additional music by Grundly Jim. Theme music by Soft Healer. Synesthesia is recorded dead, so that you may live. Me but goopy. Synesthesia.